Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Hello and welcome to Engage for Success Radio and show number 486 in our weekly series. Engage for Success is a not-for-profit movement and the UK's leading voice on the topic of employee engagement. We're out there raising awareness and running events to our area networks around the country, and our topic and sector-specific thought and action groups are developing research, publishing case studies, and shining a light on great practice. You can visit engageforsuccess.org to learn more, and while you're there, why not sign up for our weekly newsletter so you never miss out on any of our great free resources, events, and updates. And I'm Andy Gore, of your host for today's show and founder of BizJuicer, an employee engagement and culture development consultancy that helps companies create people change that sticks, retaining more of their great people and ensuring fabulous brand experiences for their customers. Right then, as firms enhance their global presence, they are confronted with a myriad of differences, ranging from the legal and the regulatory to cultural differences. Each culture has a set of cherished values and beliefs, the basis on which they operate. And in cross-cultural interaction, there's the chance a conflict may potentially emerge between these different sets of values. Asian cultures, for example, have a collectivistic orientation, whereas North American or European cultures can be seen as more individualistic in their essence. Differences in national culture can impact global teamwork, prove a hindrance to successful negotiations, and may even prevent trust building. So how can we avoid that? And how can we even enhance our cross-cultural effectiveness? Well, with me today is Dr. Rajesh Kumar. He's an expert in international business strategy and cross-cultural management. Originally from India, Dr. Kumar has lived and worked in the United States, in the UK, Denmark, France, Finland, Netherlands, and New Zealand. And as such, he has developed a deep appreciation and awareness of the importance of the cross-cultural dimension and how it impacts strategy formulation and implementation. He has a PhD in international business, an MBA, and a master's degree in economics, as well as having published numerous research papers and being a published author. So we are in the very best of company for today's topic. Welcome to the show, Dr. Kumar. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for inviting me. Fantastic to have you here. What a resume. What a number of countries that you've experienced and and lived in. Um, And I am really looking forward to hearing about the perspective that you're talking about here in in promoting a a more healthy cross-cultural kind of working environment. But before we dig into all of that, will you do me a favour, Dr. Kumar? Just give us a little bit more a background into you, who you are, how you got into this topic, and perhaps what's taking your focus today. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, Andy, I'm originally from India. I first left for England when I was in the mid-20s, and uh, then I moved on to the U.S. So a lot of my interest in cross-cultural issues comes from my own personal experience as I moved from the Indian culture, which is very different from the British, and then to the American culture. And so that was the starting point of my journey. 
And then over the years, then I got interested in this topic, even academically. And then I got my PhD in international business from uh, NYU. And essentially, my topic of the thesis was on cross-cultural negotiations. And that is something which is, uh, you know, very dear to my heart. And it's also actually a very practical matter because managers spend most of their time negotiating. Mm. And uh, whether it's with your customers, suppliers, governments, or other entities. So negotiation, I think, becomes a very, very important managerial skill. And, uh, and the ability to negotiate effectively is an important uh, capability. And so what happens is that, uh, you know, when you cross cultures, then I think uh, you have to recognize that the way, for example, that the Indians negotiate is very different from how the Japanese or the Americans negotiate or the British. So I got interested in this. And then over the years, I wrote a lot of papers, did some training programs for companies and just immersed myself in, the, in this particular study and in this particular area. And over time, I also got the opportunity to live and work in different countries, ranging from the UK, US, uh, England, uh, Denmark, France, Finland, uh, Netherlands, and New Zealand. And while there is a similarity at one fundamental level, there are also differences. And while we normally think of differences as being great between Europe and Asia, for example, there are also differences within Europe. So that's been the background to my interest in this particular topic. And I think it's uh, particularly important for companies and individuals engaged in global business. Yeah, which is becoming more and more prevalent, right? Because the world has shrunk after the whole, after COVID, yes. isn't it? Right? We're, we're dealing with people. Well, even, bef- even before that, because, yeah. you know, all the manufacturing is pretty much done in China. And outsourcing began a long time ago in the 70s or 80s. It accelerated. And so China has become the world's manufacturing factory in many ways. So, you know, everyone is actually dealing with that in some way, shape or form. But then, you know, you have other emerging markets that are also, uh, you know, becoming clear, such as India and uh Brazil and all of it. Uh, so, you know, the entire landscape has actually shifted. A hundred percent. And I love the fact you, you you pick out the negotiation there because it's also the casual negotiations that happen every day between colleagues, right? As well as the, the formal sure. stuff, right? And whenever two individuals interact, you know, it could be a simple thing. Where are we going to have lunch today? You may have a certain preference. I may have another preference. You know, and it happens within within partners at an individual level. It's a very, very simple example. And obviously, mergers and acquisitions and joint venture negotiations are much more complex. But the essential nature of the problem doesn't does not change, which is that you have two parties with different as well as uh, congruent goals trying to come together to forge an agreement. 
Absolutely. So if we try and dig into this topic a bit, let's let's maybe start at uh, maybe a fundamental piece around, I guess, understanding or maybe even a lack of understanding. So let's think about this. How does a lack of understanding of national culture impact a company's global operations, do you think, Dr. Kumar? I think if you have a lack of understanding of culture, you may not be able to operate very effectively in that environment. And many companies have actually exited uh, from their foreign operations. Uh, so Amazon was in China. It exited in 2019. There was an issue with management. There was a lack of trust between the top management and the local people. You had eBay, which also exited from China because, you know, in China, relationships are very important. So the local competitor had a function which allowed the buyers and sellers to communicate. You know, so that's one aspect of it. The other thing is if you have a global team with people in different countries or cultures, how do you get them together? You know, how do you get a multicultural team working together? And you have differences in, in the way they deal with time, differences in the way that they communicate. So that can also have an impact on the efficiency of your operations. Third of all, I've already alluded to earlier about negotiations. So uh, negotiation is very, very important uh, in the sense that, you know, you know, we want to buy or sell things or enter into a joint venture or whatever. Now the challenge is that how negotiation is also impacted by culture. So in a lot of North American European cultures, negotiation is a very task-based activity. In Latin America, in uh, Asia, it's very much relationship-based. So you need to spend a lot of time in terms of building and sustaining those relationships. And if that is not done, then that can impede trust development. And so that, I think, also has an impact. So if you take a look at it, culture is ever-present and it can impact uh, your operations in numerous ways. Absolutely. And when you look at business and when you look at companies, why, yes. why do you think it is that, I don't know whether it's the, the manager level or the company level, we are giving maybe not enough or less attention than is really necessary to this dimension of cultural differences um, right why, yes. why do you think that is well you know i think a number of factors i think one is people are very often not even aware of their own culture so they cannot even recognize its importance and i think you realize what your own particular culture is when you go to another country because then you recognize that the assumptions on which you were operating are no longer valid in the other country. And so that's one element that actually comes into play, which is that, uh, you know, people are just not conscious about it. The second thing also is there's often a tendency in business to focus on the hard factors, profitability, market share and growth. Culture is one of those intangible factors. You may even recognize that it has an impact, but 
you know, often enough, you cannot directly link it to uh, to some of those hard variables. And what I've heard and what I've seen is that often enough, uh, companies will call in consultants when they have a problem, right? So you have a cultural or other issues, and then you bring in a cross-cultural consultant. Mm. And ideally, they might have avoided that problem had they paid a little more attention to it. Third, I think there's also the assumption that, and there's certainly an element of truth to it, that with globalization, with English being the language of uh, uh, global commerce, that there is uh, some commonality and homogeneity that is emerging. Mm -hmm. That may be true to a certain degree, and it might be also a generational impact so that younger people might be a little more attuned to the global norms. But, you know, I think, um, but I think that the, the assumption about uh, homogeneity may also be a little bit overstated. So again, you know, I think that also comes into the picture and why often this is a variable that is not considered uh, so so saliently and certainly not upfront. Do you, do you, in your work that you've done, Dr. Kumar, do you see a conscious effort to take more of uh, an intentional attitude towards recognizing the differences, or do you think we're still kind of stumbling through it? Okay, so I think it varies from company to company. And it depends also on their global market presence, global exposure. It depends on, as you know, on the composition of the top management team, how diverse is it. If it is a diverse team and they're coming from different national backgrounds, then I think there will be a greater attunement to the need to pay attention to these differences. Mm -hmm. So I think... Um, uh, yeah, so I think it really varies from company to company, but I think at times even even big global companies can stumble because you can have a change of personnel and then a new group comes in who has a very, very different understanding or an appreciation of what is at stake. So, you know, uh, it is, it is, it, it just varies. And You've mentioned things like there's pieces in education here, perhaps the younger generation being a little bit more in tune. But but right. ultimate but ultimately, what do you think are the the keys to unlock a better future? You know, how can we be better? What what should companies be thinking about? What steps should they take to become more culturally adept moving forward? Right. So there are a lot of things that they can actually do. I think one is that, uh, you know, they need to they need to uh, have a much more diverse top management team, because I think uh, that will, as I mentioned earlier, uh, facilitate uh, uh, facilitate the incorporation of multiple perspectives. I think it is also a good idea to rotate managers across different countries. Uh, and a number of companies actually do that, uh, moving from sending them for an assignment to London, to Paris, 
to Asia, etc., because that will again open up their mind and uh, and really also foster the development of that expertise within the uh, company. Third, I think they can also introduce training programs and uh, and the idea is to sensitize people to these particular differences and to make them cognizant and aware of how those uh, differences can manifest themselves. I remember talking to an individual who was, I believe, sent to Singapore on an assignment and he had no idea how important, for example, faces. And uh, he said something very directly to his local counterparts and that froze the interaction between them for a few days. Mm. So, so he was not aware of it as to, you know, as to what needs to be done and what needs to be done, uh, not done. So, and that can come about through training where you sensitize people to the differences and then you, uh, you know, help them understand how to make sense of those particular differences. So that's another thing that can be done. And, um, and finally, you know, I think you've just got to, uh, you know, have the right kind of people in the right positions. And, uh, and that I think is also very, very important in terms of, uh, you know, whether you are managing an alliance with partners from other culture, building a joint venture, that I think is also uh, quite critical. I think the really interesting piece you say there is around, or well, it's all interesting, but um, is in the preparation. Because I, yes. I even remember in, in, in my corporate past, uh, the shock of working with um, some uh, Israeli guys on a technical right. pro- project. And there was a an awful lot of shouting that was going, that was going yes. on, which yes. which absolutely scared me to death. Um, and yeah. I took that as a kind of a personal thing, and I must be doing something wrong. And it wasn't until someone took me inside and said, "No, no, no that 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 that's how these guys work problems through. That that's yeah, that's that's a cultural thing." Right. Um, but I wasn't prepared right. for that at all. Correct. So, you know, I mean, that's the thing. So what the organization should have done is to actually prepare you for what differences you might encounter Mm. and how best to bridge those differences. Absolutely. And in the the work that you do, Dr. Kumar, who have you seen out there that's doing this stuff really well, that is really kind of leading the way in uh, cultural adeptiveness and, and, um, and cohesion? Well, you know, I think there are a number of companies doing that, but I think they could all do uh, they could all do better. Let me put it this way. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and I think, uh, but you know, I would say, and I've spoken to a number of people that uh, even today, even this in this age of globalization and interdependence. I think it is still not done sufficiently or not to the degree that you might imagine that it should happen. Now, the other point to this is that I'm not focusing simply on American or European companies. I think even companies from other cultures, they are, I think, in the same dilemma. 
uh, you know, uh, you know, Japan, for example, has been uh, has been a pretty insular country for a long, long time. And uh, in fact, there was an article uh, in in uh, I think written by a longtime BBC correspondent, and I think the title of the article is interesting. Japan was the future, but it is stuck in the shadows of the past. Mm. And, and the point that he makes is that Japan is a collectivistic culture. And, uh, and you know, coll- collectivistic cultures, because they are group-oriented, they find it difficult to make change. Sure, That's one point. The other thing is that, more broadly speaking, all cultures actually are in some sense ethnocentric, and this this is not picking out any one culture. So what that does is everyone thinks their way of doing things is the best. So why should we adapt? Yeah, I mean, we see a lot of that. I mean, that's a global <laughs> issue everywhere right now, right? Even it's on a social so, issue, polarization exists everywhere. <laughs> right. So these, uh, yeah, so that's the more broader framework within which we are discussing this, that certain individuals, certain enlightened companies, of course, provide the uh, relevant training and they do so for some markets. So I know a lot of companies train their managers going to China, which is absolutely essential because it's a very, very different culture, very different, uh, very different, uh, very different, you know, legal and other regulatory framework. And also, China is such a big market for many companies. Mm. So, you know, a number of things come into play. And and all that I would say is that while there are some companies who are doing better than others, they could all do a little better. Yeah, I I would probably say you're right on that. And (laughs) and that's at, at a company level, we could all do better. Let's think about us as individuals for a second, Dr. Kuma. Right. What traits do you think individuals need to possess today to operate effectively in this global environment? Right. So I think there are a number of traits that would be helpful. Uh, I would say uh, first thing is you've got to have a high tolerance for ambiguity. Mm. Because when you cross cultures, you're going to be faced with different cues, different signals, and you don't know what, how to interpret them. So you've got to be really, uh, you know, understanding those differences. When I moved from India to England way back in the 70s, I encountered that challenge because I could make sense, uh, at least initially, of the British way of communication, for instance. Hmm. And so, and, you know, and so on and so forth. So you've got to have an understanding of uh, tolerance for ambiguity because there will be a lot of confusion. And if you don't, then you might get actually uh, frustrated. So that I think is important. It's also important to be patient, to be flexible, because everything in a cross-cultural context will take time. So you should not get yourself very disheartened in that sense. Mm. I think you also need to have a relational capability, you know, that you enjoy meeting with people, that uh, you have the capability to build 
and maintain relationships with individuals from a different cultural background over time. And related to this, I would say, I think openness is very important mm. because, you know, when you go to a different culture, there's different, you know, there are different ways of doing things. Are you, uh, are you open to actually looking at that? Are you open to really readjusting your behavior to what the demands of that environment are? Because if you're not very open, if you're very closed, if you just want to do things the British, American, or the Indian way, you may have challenges. Yeah. And finally, I would say, I think you need to be able to uh, learn from failure. Nice. Because failure will be inevitable as you go to any particular culture. But the question is, does the failure paralyze you or does the failure provide an incentive or indeed the opportunity for you to learn? I love that. There's a real spirit of curiosity and flexibility within that that list. Yeah. Yeah, curiosity. I think that's a great word you pick up. That is essential. And a number of managers whom I've spoken to, who have lived overseas, highlight the importance of curiosity. Yeah. And if if finally, Dr. Kuma, if I was to push you and ask for one piece of critical advice that could help everybody in, improve this cultural awareness, this, um, I guess, effectiveness on a cultural stage, what would that piece of yeah. advice be? I think the first thing is preparation. Yeah. Because without preparation, you're not even in the game. And I would have to say it's a long-term process, but you begin somewhere. And you begin by preparing for what might await you. I love that. I mean, preparation is key to so many things. So many things in terms of performance, my friend. Excuse me. Yeah. And I think it's very, very important here because... Unless you don't understand what the differences are, how do you bridge them? Yeah. At first, seek to understand, I guess. That's where it all comes back to. (laughs) Dr. Kumar, I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Unfortunately, that's just about all we have time for today. So everybody, don't forget to visit engageforsuccess.org to check out the show notes and all of our fab free engagement resources, where you can also download or stream any of the great shows from our archive at your lever. Dr. Kumar, thank you so much for sharing your insights and experience with us today. I've absolutely loved talking to you. Thank you, Andy. Pleasure to be with you here today. Okay, my friend, you take care. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. We'll be back again at the same time next week. I'm Andy Gorham, and thanks for listening to Engage for Success Radio. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.